All right, it's time. Let's do this. Um, just want to get this out of the way right away. I know some of you, the only reason you're here is you're just wondering if I'm going to speak in tongues tonight, and I'm not. So, Yeah, you could. But I would need an interpreter, and I don't see any interpreters out here. So, so um, like I said, we may on some nights go all the way to 8 o'clock. It just depends. I think next week we most certainly will go to 8. Maybe not tonight. We'll see. Uh, first question is, why this study? If you read through the New Testament, you will soon realize that Jesus has exactly one strategy for reaching the world for the gospel, and that would be the church. That's his strategy. And who is the church? No, it's these buildings, Ira. This is, no, it's we are, exactly. It's, it's, it's you and me. Uh, and how will we do that work? By being equipped, by being filled with the Spirit, um, the saints, that would be us. If you're in Christ, I know you're a saint, and I know some of you are like, there's no way my spouse. And so anyway, but if you're, a, if you're in Christ, you are a saint, and it's by equipping the saints. And that's really what this is about. That's what we're going to talk about. So the idea that the church is the one idea that Jesus has for Spreading the gospel, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Ephesians 4, verse 7, and then verses 11 and 12. Paul writes, But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Each one of us, according to the measure of Christ's gift. What he's saying there by the measure of Christ's gift, he's saying according to how he wanted to gift you. It's not like some people get more or less. It's not a quantifiable issue. It's a qualitative issue. And then he says, and he gave the apostles... The prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. That's not all the gifts, but he lists five there. And he says, it is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body, Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. And then even Peter gets in on the act. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God, Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, of course, we'll come back and uh, during these four weeks, we'll take a much closer look at um, uh, those passages. Maybe not Matthew 28, but Ephesians 4 and 1 Peter 4 for sure. Uh, The problem is that most of us don't really have much of an idea how God has uniquely gifted and crafted each one of us in order to participate in this calling. And so that's what we want to do through these four weeks is help us understand that. And I I recognize as as I put together a series like this, there are other series that have a similar challenge. The way I put it together these four weeks may not necessarily be the way you wanted me to. (laughs) There are questions that you might have that you're hoping that I will answer. And I think I'll get to, eventually I'll get to every question, but some of you want them all answered tonight, that we won't get there tonight. Uh, Some of you may walk out of here after four weeks and think, he never scratched me where I itched on this uh, spiritual gift thing. Again, I will tell you that what I'm going to do is root this thing in Scripture. There's just going to be tons and tons of Scripture. So I hope you bring your Bibles as we go through some of this stuff. Now, tonight, I'm going to jump around and stuff, so don't try to keep up. 
But for instance, next week, it's going to be 1 Corinthians 12. That's it. You can just open to there and, and, and camp there. So in these four weeks, we're going to discuss what all of this means. We'll examine the New Testament passages on spiritual gifts. That would be 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. Um, a lot of people don't realize there's a connection between 12 and 13. It'll be Ephesians 4. It'll be uh, Romans 12. It'll be 1 uh, Peter chapter 4. Uh, we will hopefully deconstruct any bad teaching we've received about the gifts and construct a biblical understanding of the gifts. Uh, and of course, there's just like there's bad teaching on virtually every doctrine uh, in the Bible, every gospel doctrine, there's bad teaching about the spiritual gifts as well. Um, and by bad, I don't mean boring. I mean, I mean incorrect. It's not biblical. Uh, and then we'll take, a, at the end, the last night, uh, Tyler James will be here because I, I just need his help. But he's, uh, we're going to teach a little bit the last night, and then we're going to bring the, the big screen out here, and we're going to connect to a few uh, websites that help us with spiritual gift inventories and assessments, which I've taken both of them. I've taken a bunch of them. These two, I, I, I feel like, seem to be uh, the best and the most comprehensive. And we'll get a few guinea pigs from y'all to be able to go through and take it, and then we can watch it and talk about it. And then you go home and you can do it yourself if you're not one of the guinea pigs. So that's the last week in case some of you don't want to be a guinea pig. That's, that's when we're going to do that. By the way, in terms of scheduling, I just want to remind you that February 22nd, which would be the fourth night of this, is actually Ash Wednesday. So we're going to have Ash Wednesday services that night. And then March 5th will be, is it March 5th? No, March 1st. Then March 1st will be the fourth week of this series. Uh, so let me preview the specifics of each week. Uh, week one, this is our week one. We're going to lay the groundwork. It's an introduction. We're going to talk about what is not and is a spiritual gift. What is not and what is a spiritual gift. We'll talk about the purpose of the gifts. And we'll talk about the key passages that we will study, which will be uh, next week, 1 Corinthians 12 and a little bit of 13. And wh what we're doing there is we're looking at unity and strength in the midst of diversity and love. That's, that's the context in which Paul writes 1 Corinthians 12. He's actually, uh, it's actually even a little bit harsher than that in 1 Corinthians 12. We'll get in that next week. But he's, he's correcting misuse and abuse of the gifts in 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, week three will be Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, and the, sort of the subtitle of that is Walking in a Manner Worthy of the Gospel. And then week four will be uh, 1 Peter 4. Uh, we've titled that Countering the Culture, and then we'll take our assessments and, and inventories. Uh, it's important to understand that we will define each of the gifts. We will define them. We'll spend some time doing that each of the next three nights. There's maybe 24 or 26 spiritual gifts, depending on how you count them, depending on how you um, decide to interpret them in, in the scripture. But 24 to 26, I don't think that's a comprehensive list either. I think there are probably other gifts too that aren't necessarily listed in the Bible, and we can argue and debate about that, but, um, about what they might be. But uh, we do know for sure that there's 24 to 26 actually listed in scripture. Um, and I think one of the things that people miss so badly about the gifts is the context in which they're uh, discussed. So we're going to do a lot of that in this series. We're going to talk about the broader biblical context for these texts about spiritual gifts. So it's important to not only know the gifts, but also the robust context in which they are discussed in these letters. Uh, for instance, did you know that both Peter and Paul discuss spiritual gifts in the context of contrasting and differentiating a Christian from a non-believer. That's one of the main contexts in which both Peter and Paul discuss the spiritual gifts, is it helps differentiate us from unbelievers. In other words, exercising your spiritual gift is one way someone knows that you're a follower of Christ, and that's a good thing. And there's one more. There's several others, but one more the gifts are always written about within the context of our call to love one another. To love one another. Okay? So, here we go. First thing we're going to talk about is what a spiritual gift is not. Okay? 
So a spiritual gift is not the fruit of the Spirit. So that'd be Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And let me just clarify. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits of the Spirit. Okay? It's one fruit with nine characteristics. It's, it's not nine different fruits and we kind of go, yeah, I'm glad I got this and I'm glad I got this. I don't need to worry about patience. I'm going to let somebody else worry about that one. Okay? It's one fruit with nine characteristics. Okay? And they are, some of you can recite them with me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And then what's the next clause? Against such things there is no law. I love that part. Nobody ever talks about that part, but I love that part. Why, why is it against such things there is no law? Because if you live a life of the nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit, you don't necessarily need to be reminded of the Mosaic law to be able to, to, be able to love God and love your neighbor in order to be able to live that out. The problem, though, is that these gifts, um, these, um, uh, these characteristics are not things that we do by the power of the Spirit. Those would be gifts, but rather they are embedded in our character. There's a difference between the two. We're given not all the gifts. We're given a few, some. There's a gift mix. But these things, these nine things are embedded in our character. So those who are in Christ by virtue of having the resurrected Christ and the filling of the Holy Spirit in us should be able to begin to manifest the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. And I know that we all struggle with at least a few of them. Some of, some of us struggle with all nine of them. I understand that. But we should be making progress in those. That would be the process of sanctification. And if we live out these characteristics, we don't need the law to guide us. We are naturally, some would say supernaturally, we are able to live within the glorious law of God without having to follow rules. So the fruit of the Spirit is good, and it's glorious, and it's wonderful, but it's not a spiritual gift in the sense that it's something that we do. The fruit of the Spirit is who we are. So there's a difference there, okay? Uh, here's the next thing that a spiritual gift is not. It's not a talent or a strength. It's not a talent or a strength. And I know you could say, well, there's differences between those two things. I understand that. Uh, we just took... Um, for the month of January, culminated yesterday morning, <clears throat> we took our entire staff through uh, Strength Finders. How many of you have heard of or been through Strength Finders? Okay. So there's 34 of those. And it's a, it's a wonderful um, assessment of where our strengths and are and where we might have some glaring weaknesses. So all 11 of our uh, staff members uh, took the assessment, read the book during January, and then yesterday we had certified strength finder, um, what do you call it, uh, mediators come in and did a three-and-a-half-hour um, workshop with us to, to finish it off yesterday, which, by the way, um, wonderful thing. Uh, they gave us this pro bono uh, because one of the persons is a member of our church. You wanted to do this for us. I've been through Strength Finders before. I had no idea. I've known this guy for seven or eight years. I had no idea he was a certified Strength Finders guy. And when I found out about that, I said, hey, well, why don't we do it? I'd love to do it for our staff. And he said, I'd love to do it for your staff pro bono. And I said, I'm in. So that's great. It's about a $5,000 value, and they did it for us for, uh, for free. And, and uh, it was really helpful. But those are strengths and talents. They're connected to our Christian ministry, but they are not something that we're endowed with necessarily by God other than the fact that we are created in God's image. I'll get into that a little bit more. So a talent or maybe a strength is something that we're good at independent of us accepting Jesus Christ as Lord. So I was 27 when I came to Christ. There were already a few things that I was pretty good at before I accepted Christ. So those aren't necessarily spiritual gifts. Now, they can augment the spiritual gifts. I'll talk a little bit about that. By the time I was 27, I was already a pretty good public speaker. Now, God took that strength, that talent, and he also happened to give me the, uh, the gift of teaching and preaching. So I've taken the ass every assessment 
By the way, I know how to answer. I'm kidding. Um, so I've taken them, and that's, those are part of my strengths. That's part of my, I'm sorry, that's part of my gift mix. But I was already good at that. I had a talent of it even as, as early as 27 before I knew Christ. So give you, give you an example. Someone who can read the market and know how to make money off of it, that's a talent. Okay? Someone who can play the piano like Tyler Thompson, that's a talent. Tyler did not come to Christ and suddenly he could play the piano the way he can. That's a talent that he had. And now he's using it for the glory of God, which is good, but that's a talent he had. Someone who can handle the puck like Clayton Keller of the Coyotes. That's a talent. God, didn't, he, God endowed him with the ability to work hard and maybe some natural talent, but it's not a spiritual gift. Someone who could play the harp like David. That's a talent. And that's David in the Old Testament. Some of you are looking David who? Dave, King David in the, in the Old Testament. That was a talent that he had. And it's not that talents and strengths are bad. It's not it at all. And it's not that these talents can't be used for the glory of God. In fact, we need people to use their talents for the kingdom. And it's beautiful when they do. But God didn't endow, endow you and me with a talent specifically when you became a Christian nor did he suddenly make you aware of this talent when you became a Christian. So, some talents do look like spiritual gifts and can become spiritual gifts once a person comes to Christ. Uh, there's the person who has always had a heart for looking out for others. They, they live a life of altruism all on their own. They come to Christ and suddenly they have the spiritual gift of service. It's a person who's a natural-born leader. We, we have these discussions all the time. Is leadership an art or is it a science? And the answer is yes. Okay? It's both, but if you're not born with a natural sort of ability to understand timing and, and, and have a leadership intuition... You can study the science of leadership and become a good leader, but you'll never be an outstanding leader unless you also have that sort of natural-born uh, ability, that natural giftedness. Okay? But some people are natural-born leaders. They come to Christ, and what happens is they soon find themselves in position of leadership in the church, not necessarily as pastors, but as lay people, as elders, as deacons, as people serving in children's ministry, those kinds of things. Um, as the Holy Spirit more fully develops that talent into a gift for encouraging and building up the church. So you can see the connectedness there. Um, I, I mentioned already uh, sort of my natural ability to, um, to get up in front of people and deliver a fairly well-organized speech uh, that generally people can track with. So <clears throat> the fruit of the Spirit is good but it's not a spiritual gift. A talent is good, but it's not necessarily a spiritual gift. So, the last one. Uh, spiritual gifts are not developed virtues or disciplines. Okay? There are several virtues in the Bible that we as Christians are called to. They're disciplines that we are called to. They are things that should mark our life as a Christian but they're not given to us by God. They are developed as we persevere and walk through life with Jesus at our side. These, these things are not endowed by God, but rather by the guidance and the assistance of Christ and the Holy Spirit in, in us. We develop these, hopefully, we develop these virtues. Often through tribulation and suffering. That might be one of the main ways that this happens, but also through discipline. So I have a whole list of these things. I'm going to mention these Sunday morning, by the way, as we start uh, Isaiah 40 through 55 toward the end of the message. I won't cover them in as much detail as I do tonight. But what are these things I'm talking about, these disciplines or these, um, uh, these developed virtues? The first one would be, it's the Greek word hupomene, and it's variously translated in the New Testament as perseverance, steadfastness, or endurance. So probably the most famous uh, verse, and that would be James chapter 1. Consider it all joy, my beloved, when you encounter trials of various kinds, 
because the testing of your faith develops hupomene, steadfast. By the way, you don't see the word steadfastness used very much anymore. I love that word, though. It's a great word, but it's perseverance, endurance, or steadfastness. So consider it all joy. I remember the first time I read the letter of James, and second verse, it says, consider this all joy. And I was like, oh, good, something's coming. And he says, when you encounter trials of various kinds, I'm like, what kind of mess is this? supposed to consider it joy. That reminds us, though, that happiness and joy are two different things. Happiness is based on our circumstances. Joy, joy is based on our relationship with Christ. So we can have joy when things are bad. But he says, when you, uh, um, uh, when you encounter trial, very, trials of various kinds. So I want to take a little time to unpack this because I think it's important to help us understand how we develop these virtues. Because they do augment the spiritual gifts that we've been given. So um, uh, trials of various kinds. So in the Septuagint, which is the second century BC Greek translation of the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek, uh, when the 70 priests translated the book of Genesis into Koine Greek, which is what the New Testament, the language the New Testament is written in, when they described Joseph's coat of many colors, Okay, you, you all know, you know, uh, Andrew Lloyd Webber, so right? Okay, Joseph and the amazing technicolors. Anyway, the coat of many colors, okay? The Greek word that they use to describe many colors is the same uh, word that is translated in that verse, various trials or trials of many kinds. So whether your interpretation says when we encounter trials of various kinds, multicolored trials, or trials of many kinds, um, uh, trials that are multicolored. So this imagery is very colorful. Okay, so think about it. Okay, um, some trials make you mad. So what color would that be? Red. Some colors. Some trials make you sad. What color would that be? Blue. Some trials make you afraid or cowardly. Yellow. Some trials make you jealous. Green. Do you see how it's so beautiful, the imagery of this? Anyway, so trials of many kinds because the testing of your faith. Do you all know what the testing means? What that actually means, Ira? Yes? I thought, I thought you shake, shook your head. Anybody? The testing of your faith. Okay, that's a Greek. Yeah, so it's, yes, it's the, it's the Greek word that describes what goldsmiths do with raw ore in a crucible. Okay? So they get raw ore, there's some gold in there, but they have to put it in a crucible and then heat up the crucible very hot so that it'll liquefy. And then what happens when it, when it cools? The impurities rise atop because they weigh less than the gold. Okay, so the impurities rise at the top, you scrape off the impurities, but then what happens? You have to do it over and over and over and over and over and over again until you get pure gold. Sometimes it takes a hundred times of heating and cooling, and this process takes a long time in order to get that pure gold. Okay, so just think about the imagery of that too. We live our lives metaphorically in a crucible. And that crucible gets heated up all the time, right? By your circumstances, by work, by your relationships, by your marriage, by your kids, by your parents, by your pastor, whatever it is, okay? Your life gets heated up. And what happens is during those times of getting heated up, you have to remember that God is with you. He's walking through these things with you. His, generally, his... His standard operating procedure is not to take you out of those heating up circumstances, but to walk with you through it. But as you go through it, that heating up exposes all of your dross, all of your impurities, right? Or some of them. And if you're smart, um, you'll notice how your impurities and your flaws and your sin come out when you get heated up. And you'll remember that and you'll start scraping those things away. That's, kind of, that's part of the process of sanctification. That's the idea. So that as you begin to go through these things over and over and over, you actually get better at it. Mostly because you begin to realize that God is with you and, 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 
and he's walking with you, and you're trusting him to be able to do that. The spirit in you, the resurrected Christ in you. And that's why it develops steadfastness, perseverance, and endurance. It's, it's, it's the idea that uh, as we become older, we should become wiser, and things shouldn't move us quite as much as they used to. We shouldn't get quite as riled up. Now, let me just give you one other little... This is, this is a side note on a side note, so I apologize for that, but I think it's, it's important to understand. So you're living your life in this crucible, and this crucible has room for one, you. Okay. Now, if you happen to get married, if you happen to be married, what does the Bible say about a husband and wife when they get married? The two become one. Okay. So, when you get married, you don't get a bigger crucible. <laughs> you now have a crucible for one. Have any of you ever thought about why marriage is so hard? It's because the two of you are in a crucible that was built for one. You're going to have to learn how to dance with each other rather than throwing elbows at each other. But that's the idea, is that you are each other's flesh. And as Paul says in Ephesians 5, no one ever hated their own flesh, right? It's the idea anyway. The two becoming one. So that's perseverance, steadfastness, endurance. Hupa mene. Then there's contentment. Some of you know I'm just, I constantly read this passage. This is Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. Uh, so God doesn't give us perseverance. We have to learn it by going through life with God at our side. God doesn't give us contentment. We have to learn it. Okay? Paul writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that now at length you have renewed your concern for me. He's telling the church in Philippi they hadn't sent him any money in prison for a while because there was a famine in Philippi and the economy stunk. But now the economy is coming back, the famine's over, and they're starting to send him money again. And he admits, he says, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity to show it. And then he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. I'm not telling you this because I have needs. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, of facing abundance and need. I can do all things through him, Christ, who strengthens me. So I've learned how to be content in any situation. Whether, whether I'm eating hot dogs, or I'm eating at, what's the name of that place? Ash and whatever. I used to say Roos Chris, and that's passe now. So All right, Steak 44. I remember that one. So the other one, though, what's Ash and... Maple? Maple? Maple. Maple. Okay, not maple. Okay. Maple and ash. Okay, so whether you're eating hot dogs or, or uh, maple and ash. Okay, I've learned to be content. So perseverance, contentment. Here's another one, wisdom. God just doesn't give us wisdom. I wish he did. And by the way, even if he did, then we'd have to actually use it. So getting it is half the, the battle. Then you actually have to apply it. Okay, so wisdom. Proverbs and Ephesians, here you go, Proverbs 4 uh, and, and 9. Uh, get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget and do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her. Solomon personifies wisdom as a woman. Do not forsake her, wisdom, and she will keep you. She will guard you. She will take care of you. Love her, and she will guard you. The beginning of wisdom is this. I love this circular argument here. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. <laughs> okay? Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Another way to translate that Hebrew word for insight is discernment, okay? And then Paul says this in Ephesians 5. It's one of my favorite passages. He says in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 15, which, by the way, leads into that household code passage that goes from uh, Ephesians 5.21 through um, 6.9. But he starts it with this. He says, look carefully then how you walk. Now, when Paul writes how you walk, or when Jesus says how you walk or walk this way, what are they, what are they talking about? 
It's an ancient Greek colloquialism that means how you live your life. So whenever you're reading the New Testament and it says walk this way or how you walk, it means this is how you're supposed to live your life. So look carefully then, Paul says, how you live your life, not as unwise, but as wise. I've asked some of you in this room this question before. What's a synonym for unwise? Foolish. Foolish. Okay, that's... That's the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is essentially a collection of wisdom sayings that is not necessarily directed at somebody who's already figured out wisdom and they need to get it, or somebody who's decided, I'm just going to be a fool and that's the end of that story. It's directed at the person who hasn't decided yet. Solomon's trying to get that person to fall over on the side of, of wisdom. He's saying, don't live your life as a fool. This is Paul at his Solomonic best here. He says... Do not uh, live your life as an unwise person, but as a wise person, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. He says you need wisdom in this world because this world is dark and corrupt and fallen. And if you walk through it with foolishness, you're just going to end up getting beat up. And, And if you're a fool, you'll end up getting beat up. And sometimes, most of the time, maybe even all the time, you won't even know you're getting beat up. You won't even know that you're destroying your life. You'll think, you're, you'll think you're acting in wisdom, but you're not. He says you need biblical wisdom. You need the wisdom of the whole, filling of the Holy Spirit because you need that to navigate this fallen dark world in, in, a, in a way that, that, that is going to benefit you. And then he just flat out says it in verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So Paul defines wisdom is seeking after the will of God. Know God. Know God's mind. Know his will. Know what he wants. Submit your life to that, and that's going to give you wisdom. But again, that's a process. It took me 10 years as a Christian to finally understand that maybe I started needing, uh, that maybe I needed to start reading the wisdom literature in the Bible because. Even though I was in Christ, I was still living as a fool. That wisdom literature is really, really important. James is kind of like wisdom literature. There's parts of Paul that act that way too. So, perseverance, contentment, wisdom, humility. Humility is another developed virtue. It's a discipline. So, James 4, 6. But God gives more grace, therefore it says... God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then, of course, Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. Verse 4. Look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, the, the wording of that, I think, is important to understand as well. Paul never says you shouldn't look out for your own interests. He never says that. What he's saying there, though, is if your interests are intertwined with somebody else's interests, you have a responsibility as somebody in Christ to also, in humility, look out for their interests and submit your interests to them. That's hard to do, I know. I know that's hard to do, but that's what he's calling for. And then what does he say right after that in verse 5? Have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. You've got to incorporate the way Jesus looks at this world, not the way we do. And that's through humility. Be humble. So, perseverance, contentment, wisdom, humility. Then there's gratitude. 1 Thessalonians 5, Philippians 4, Colossians 3. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I am still trying to learn how to give thanks in the midst of camelback construction. We moved in here seven and a half years ago. I think we've had two and a half days with no construction on camelback. And on those two days, they decided to protest Kirsten Cinema, and they shut down camelback, so you just can't win, okay? So I, I, I recommended to the staff the other day, why don't they just change the name from camelback road to construction road, it would be more accurate. And then, of course, Tyler Thompson tweeted out and said uh, to the staff one day, he said, be careful, there's more camelback on construction road today. (laughs) Anyway, it's hard to be thankful in all circumstances, isn't it? 
Uh, and then, of course, Philippians 4. Uh, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And then Colossians 3. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. And be thankful. Uh, Kind of one more. Confession. I say kind of one more. I'll get to that in a second. But the last one would be confession. So perseverance, contentment, wisdom, humility, gratitude, and then confession. Confession is 1 John 1, James 5. Uh, 1 John 1, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Who's, the, who's our favorite person to lie to in the whole wide world? Ourselves, yes. But we're also really good at doing it to other people. Um, but we're the most gullible when it comes to our own lives. Okay? But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then James, therefore confess your sins uh, to one another and pray for one another. Um, I've been, I've had, I got this class at GCU that I'm teaching, <clears throat> uh, MIN 430, Ministerial Communication, and it's on Wednesdays and Fridays. And for really two and a half weeks, you know, I was struggling with laryngitis. And by the way, I took COVID tests, all that stuff. I didn't have, you know, I think I told some of you. Somebody said to me, you know, there's a new COVID going around that has laryngitis as one of its symptoms. And it's like, everything's a symptom now of COVID. You got a pimple? Ah, it's COVID. (laughs) Athlete's foot? COVID. Anyway, no, it wasn't COVID. Anyway, it wasn't COVID. Maybe I had a cold, but it wasn't COVID. But... um, Finally, I went in there on the fifth day when I still had struggle, struggles speaking because of the laryngitis. One of the students just said, Frank, have you confessed your sins? <laughs> kind of tongue-in-cheek, but it was like, mm, okay. So I confessed my sins, and my voice came back the next day. <laughs> now, here's that sort of ancillary one. So we have perseverance, steadfastness, endurance. We have contentment. We have wisdom, we have humility, we have gratitude, and we have confession. What I find interesting is that every one of these developed virtues is also linked in the scriptures to joy. To joy. So in other words, when we pursue these disciplines, we will also add joy to our lives. We'll begin to understand that joy isn't in uh, our circumstances. It is in our relationship. By the way, there's nothing wrong with being happy. Go for it. Be happy. You know, you win the lottery, who wouldn't be happy, right? Who wouldn't be happy in the midst of that? Um, But just remember, that's not where lasting joy comes from. And and I think one of the most um, challenging and discouraging things for me as a pastor is, is knowing how much God has done for us and yet watching so many people who say they believe in Jesus refusing to engage in the spiritual discipline of developing these biblical virtues that we're specifically called to in the Bible. Anyway, these virtues and disciplines, they're good and they're important. They're still not spiritual gifts. So, fruit, talents, and disciplines, or virtues, are good. And spiritual gifts are are often augmented and expanded by the fruit of the Spirit, our talents, and by our developed virtues. But now let's define exactly what a spiritual gift is. A spiritual gift is a special ability given to us or enhanced for us at our spiritual birth. Mine would have been um, June 1987. That is specifically designed for the benefit of the building up of and service to the church. It's a special ability or gift or mostly a gift mix that's given to us at our spiritual birth that we are supposed to use in service for the church, in building up the church, in building up the body, in helping to make this a body and to serve others. 
Now we know scripture tells us that the resurrected Christ comes to dwell in us, to live in us in the form of the Holy Spirit at our conversion. That's John 3, 5, Romans 8, 9. And with the indwelling Holy Spirit comes these special abilities. Let me define special. Special not in the sense that they build us up in the eyes of others, like a talent can, but special in the sense that others are served by these gifts. I know it's wonderful to be able to exercise some talent or ability and and get complimented by by people. And even spiritual gifts get complimented by people in in the church. But we need to remember that that's not really the point. And it's great. You can affirm people. We should be affirmed. Probably in some Christian circles we could do more affirming, you know. Um, But we need to remember that the purpose is really to build everybody else up, to build up the body, to submit our gifts to uh, the greater good. That's really important. And each church needs a diverse mixture of all these gifts from different people in order to be effective. That would be next week, see 1 Corinthians 12. Each person, by the way, is not given just one gift. But usually, rather, there's a, what we call a gift mix. There would be two or three primary gifts with some ancillary gifts in other areas as well. So we have kind of a gift mix. So mine would be teaching, preaching. Uh, I was interested... I, 25 years ago when I took my first spiritual gift inventory, this didn't show up, but it showed up on both of the ones that I took this time. Discernment is now showing up as, one, as part of my gift mix. So discernment, encouragement. I know some of you are like, really? Encouragement? Yes. Okay. Okay. Um, and these gifts should never induce superiority or inferiority in a Christian. Superiority or inferiority. That's a problem. Again, we'll see that next week in 1 Corinthians. Finally, a um, couple of verses that will help us more fully understand 1 Corinthians 12, 7. But to each one is given the manifest, manifestation of the Spirit for the benefit of the common good. For the benefit of the common good. 1 Corinthians 14, 12. Seek the gifts that abound for the edification of the body, the bride of Christ. In other words, if you're into the gifts for the edification of yourself, you are missing the point. And not only are you missing the point, if you're, if you're into the gifts because it builds you up, not only are you missing the point, but you will inevitably damage the church community that you're a part of. Okay? And trust me, that happens a lot, and it causes all sorts of problems. We'll talk more about that later. And then 1 Peter 4:10, As each has received a special gift or gifts... Use them in serving one another as good stewards of the expansive grace of God. So, um, that's our introduction. But what I want to do before we leave is I just I want to leave you with a reading of 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 together so that you can kind of start to think of those as going together. Again, some of you have heard me. I hate chapter divisions, um, which were added way later. Uh, and the reason I, I don't like them is because uh, the way we read, it tells us when there's a new chapter, we're done with that topic and we're moving on to a new topic. That's not, all, in fact, it's rarely necessarily true. They, they write these things connected to each other. I think Romans 7 and 8 is maybe the best example in Scripture of this problem with um, chapter divisions. Because Paul talks in the last half of Romans 7 about you know, this war that's going on within him. The things he wants to do, those are the things he doesn't do. The things he doesn't want to do, those are the very things he finds himself doing, and he's got this struggle. Uh, None of us have ever had that problem, but Paul had this problem, apparently. Anyway, so he finally gets to the end, and he said, "Um, O wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then the next verse is 8.1. What does it say? There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay. Oh, new topic. No, it's connected to this whole idea of Christ saving you. But people think, oh, good, we're done with seven. Now we're on with eight. That's a problem. Same thing when you get to the end of 1 Corinthians 12 and into 13. So Paul writes, now concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. 
You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, you, uh, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to, uh, for to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, by the way, the utterance of wisdom would be specifically discernment. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between the Spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. I know some of you are like, yes, those are some of the gifts I want to know about. We'll get to that next week. Okay? Um, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills, as God wills. For just as the body is one with many members, with many parts, and all of the parts, all of the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Some of you know my favorite illustration of this is, um, what if you had no elbows? Most people are like, ears, eyes, mouth, smell, all the important gifts. Oh, yeah? Try living without elbows. How are you going to feed yourself? Okay, you're going to be in pie-eating contests with your hands tied behind your back your whole life. Okay, that's the only way you can eat. You see, you can't, oh, by the way, don't let your nose get itchy. Don't get a cold. Your nose is running. Oh, gee whiz. Okay, I'm all better. See, that's, that's one of the points he's making here. Then he says, for the body um, does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? I just read all of this, didn't I? Yes. Okay, so 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think are less honorable, we bestow the greatest honor And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, uh, which our presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are one body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, and various kinds of tongues. Are we all apostles? Are we all prophets? Are we all teachers? Do we all work miracles? Do we do all possess the gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? By the way, those are rhetorical questions, and the answer is no. Okay? everyone doesn't have the same gift, but earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. Chapter 13, take away that chapter break. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but I do not love, I am just a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, see, he's talking about some of these gifts now. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and I have all faith, 
so as to remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. If I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast, it is not arrogant, nor is it rude, does not insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the, the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. He's saying that if you, he's telling the Corinthians, you are not exercising these gifts in love. You need to exercise them in love. So there's that context of love. So, uh, we're done 10 minutes early. Oh, Court, to 8 o'clock, yes. I have Okay, well, <laughs> you can stick around all you want. But also, since we're finishing 10 minutes early, that means I can go 10 minutes over whenever I want. I'm kidding. I won't do that to you. I'll just stop. Let me pray. Thank you all for being here. I hope that you'll find this beneficial. Next week, we're going to go knee-deep in 1 Corinthians 12, and we will define every gift that's, uh, that Paul names in 1 Corinthians 12. That's what we're going to do each week. We're going to define those gifts that are named in the passages, and we'll talk about how they're manifested today, okay? Uh, let's pray. God, thank you for your word and its truth, and I just pray that uh, this study will be something that edifies us and builds us up, up and that it'll point us to you and the importance of the body. Uh, and, and it'll build up this church so it will be a light in this community. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, looking forward to seeing you all at 730 on Sunday morning. <laughs>